Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters. I'm this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, senior pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Coming to you over a distance from Cheyenne, Wyoming, as it is a beautiful 65 degrees outside and a great day on the high plains. Um, Concord Matters, I've uh, got one guest with me today, Pastor Dan Hinton, pastor of Christ Lutheran Church in Lubbock, Texas. I just heard that uh, old country song, something about uh, heading to Lubbock, Texas or something like that. Uh, welcome, Pastor Hinton. Thank you. Yeah, so, all right. So we are uh, a show dedicated to discussing the concord that we have in our common confession, the doctrine we share, the doctrine we mutually confess. Uh, no matter what the narrative might be, the doctrine stays the same. And this is a, a great and wonderful blessing, and it filters through everything and, and makes us, uh, yeah, makes us one. So uh, let's get into this. Uh, we've been covering the small called articles. I think the last time I was a host of the show, we were still in uh, the apology, but grateful we're in the small called articles. Now Luther's work here, and we are discussing, in the middle of discussing, the fruits of the dragon's tail. That is, uh, the things that... Uh, uh, this uh, paragraph 11 says this. It says, uh, in addition to all this, this dragon's tail that is the mass has begotten many vermin and a multitude of idolatries. So we are a small called part two, article two. We're going to start at paragraph 16, but that's kind of the, the heading is vermin and idolatries of, uh, of God's words. So or of, of the mass. And then, of course, uh, right in paragraph 15, right before we start up in 16, is great. The true rule is this, God's word shall establish articles of faith, and no one else, not even an angel, can do so. And he cites uh, Galatians 1 there, uh, Paul's words about anyone bring to you a different gospel, even himself, even if Paul himself brought a different gospel to the Galatians, they should consider him anathema. Uh, that is cur- um, Yeah, so, Pastor Hinton, here we roll, let's, uh, let's get into this. And uh, we'll just kind of stop discuss it as we go along, as we normally do. Second, following these things, evil spirits have produced many wicked tricks by appearing as the souls of the departed. And with unspeakable lies and tricks demanded masses, vigils, pilgrimages, and other alms. All of this we were expected to receive as articles of faith and to live accordingly. The Pope confirmed these things as he did the mass and all the other abominations. Here, too, there must be no yielding or surrendering. Okay, so this is this gets back to the heart, and, and, you, and you run into this every once in a while, even in the parish and parish life. Uh, people that see deceased ones uh, have an experience of somebody that's passed away, and uh, here we're seeing a reference to this, this evil spirits appearing as the souls of the departed, 
And what do they bring? What message do they bring? Which is, of course, the, the testing point. Pastor Anton, you want to give some commentary on these evil spirits and, and their, their unspeakable lies and tricks? You're, you're literally asking a Lutheran pastor if he wants to talk about theology. I mean, I mean that, that's just kind of a given, right? But yeah. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> but absolutely. It should be. And, 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 and you're right. This does show up in the parish, and I know that this is not the first time I've been a guest on this show. It's a, it's a, it's a great show, and I, I, I do try to refer people to it. Um, and and when, I, when I've been on, one of the things that I've tried to say as much as I can is that one of the geniuses of Luther's theology, because it's small called articles, he wrote, he wrote this, but, um, but, but not just Luther's theology, but Lutheran theology, the theology that comes out of, of all who adhere to that same theology that Luther was promulgating. Um, the, the, the genius of it is not that, that it's some kind of really heady ivory tower, sort of a step out of reality kind of a thing. It is intensely, imminently practical. Um, and, and really, if theology is not practical, if it does not provide you know, defense against the devil, comfort for tortured souls, it's, it, there's really no point in discussing it. And, and that is where the, the Lutheran theology always, always meets reality, because, there, as you say, there are people who have seen things, things that they can't just explain away. And yeah, 500 years ago, people were not as naturalistic as, as we are now. They're, 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 they are more likely to see things that they don't understand as being more supernatural than people are today, but but you, you don't you don't discount the existence of the supernatural. Um, we fight against a supernatural being all the time. His name is Satan, um, and we have we have supernatural beings who fight for us, called them the angels. So, um, yeah. It, it's very easy in a, in a skeptical age like like now, especially when science has has demonstrated that all the things that that people used to think were supernatural are really natural. That's not even remotely true. But that's a, that's a perception a lot of people have about how the world is, is that we've explained all the supernatural causes of things and and that everything has natural causes. And so there even now are still people who see things they can't explain. Even people who who are not necessarily superstitious. We don't discount that. These sorts of things happen. But Luther here is providing a, a great uh, roadmap for, for how those things are to, be, are to be listened to and examined. And that is always, always, always with the Word of God. I mean, even, you, you know, you go into the local evangelical bookstore and you're going to find another iteration of a story that's very popular in their popular book section where someone claims to have himself gone to heaven and come back and then reports what he sees. Well, the Word of God tells me it's appointed for a man to die once and after that to face the judgment. So I have two competing claims. Which do I go with? We Lutherans answer that question always, always, always with the Word of God. I don't care if it's St. Paul telling you. I don't care if it's an angel telling you. I don't care if the guy seems really sincere or he himself believes that the Word of God alone is our standard for judging the truth of claims about God or about the Church or about the things of God or theology in general. And, and what that does is it, is it sets at the door a strong guard. Now, this being the Tuesday of Easter, it's not like the guards that were guarding the body of Jesus. These are strong guards that are not going to run away. And um, what they do is they, they provide a defense against the lies and the tricks of the devil and the world and, and even our flesh. Because what happens is, is, is 
evidently we're having this this rash of people seeing people who had died, all kinds of lies and tricks that come from from the devil, and they of course purport with the false theology that they have been hearing from their papist uh, churches, and so you know they're they're demanding works to be done for them. Well, we have a savior Jesus who cried out from the cross, "It is finished." Again, two competing truth claims. How do we? How do we sort this out? Always the Word of God. My Lord says it is finished. I take him at his word. And then here's the thing, though. I mean, even with what you're saying, what comes next? Which means, you know, here that last sentence of this paragraph is key. Here, too, there must be no yielding or surrendering. And so this is where the the devil's tale uh, comes into, like, postmodernism, where we all try to still affirm even error, which is ridiculous. Um, we have to condemn error. We, we, so when we have two competing claims, and one of them is the Word of God and the other one is not, uh, we can't just be like, oh, well, you know, that, that was really nice of you. And, and, and so we should say, no, that actually, according to the Word of God, is not true. That's absolutely um, even, right. Even if it's a small boy that had, comes back from heaven with the vision. You know, just... Right. It, 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 God's Word is, is more true than anything we experience and and our experience always has to line up with it. And if it doesn't, then something's been played on us. We've been tricked. Um, because Correct. God's word cannot and, lie. And it could simply be that we misunderstood, that we don't fully understand, that we were Correct. told a lie. But the problem is when you throw away categories like truth and error, which require like propositional logic and dialectic and, and actually believing that things are universally true and things are universally false, which are all prerequisites for understanding the Bible, by the way. This is not just a matter of two tribes having competing narratives, and let's just sit down and hash this out together. One follows the devil, one follows Jesus. I mean, how many times are we told in how many different ways throughout the Gospels and, and even in Revelation? There are but two categories, those who are with Jesus, those who are not with him, those who gather with him and those who scatter, the sheep, the goats, those on the left, those on the right. Um, I mean, how, yeah. how many different ways could our Lord say this? There are only two. There are those who are with him, those who are against him, and those who are with him hear his voice. That's the definition of the church, found, by the right. way, in the third part of the Small Code Articles. So, yes, it is. Um, and every so, seven-year-old knows it. Exactly. So. Yeah. It's, it's, what, what, a, what a perfect line. This is great sermon prep, actually, for Sunday, because this is, this is quasi-motogenity, which is where, in the intro, we're told, like newborn infants, to seek... The, the the pure spiritual milk of the word, right? Just like uh, like Thomas. But yeah, well, I I often I often say this to my members. Oftentimes, you find people who are kind of uh, neutral in the faith, and they'll use things like, "Oh, I just want childlike, simple faith," and they'll use that as like a, a shield against having to be more involved in learning God's word and regularly attending church or or you know being a part of Bible studies or continuing their own devotional life or anything like that. Or, you know, understanding things at a deeper level, they'll, they'll try to foil against that with that. But if anyone's ever met a child, uh, you, you find out real quick that childlike faith would be the kind of faith that asks the question, why? Yes. And, and, and then says, why? And then continues yes. to, to nag you until, <laughs> until you tell them. And, and, and of course, that's, uh, that's what it is to have simple childlike faith. It's not... Oh well, I've just got the basics, and I don't want to ever learn anything more. I, 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 I've got yeah, everything I need. It's childlike faith. It's not childish faith. Absolutely, Correct. childlike faith wants to know more. It's never satisfied. 
three-year-olds yeah. are never satisfied with just just learning you know a couple of things about a thing they want to dig in they want to learn that's what we should be like when it comes to the word of god yeah and then sometimes you hear the answer because i said so and god's yeah. word sometimes says that and as children then we would say okay uh that 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 works uh and isn't that precisely yeah. how we Lutherans approach the, the article on the Mass? Yes. Yep. God's Word shall establish articles of faith. So when you when you run into this different, like, competing truth claims and people trying to validate all of them or trying to maybe not condemn things by using weird narrative language and so forth, it's like they're attacking the clarity of the Scriptures, which yeah. which, in the end, which in the end attacks the inspiration of the Scriptures which in the end calls God basically a, a, a liar or that he couldn't do the job well enough, you know, that, that he couldn't bestow his word to us uh, well enough for, to, for us to actually understand it. I mean, which is, I mean, sad to hear Lutheran circles talking that way nowadays, but that's kind of the old Roman Catholic line of understanding about the scriptures. Right. So you just, you just can never know what it really teaches. And it's like, no, this is, this is very clear. And, of course, this so, is... Yeah. So we have this wonderful hymn for, of the Lord's Supper, Lord Jesus Christ, you have prepared, written by Samuel Kinner in the 17th century. There's this magnificent verse, and it's not the only verse in, in Lutheran hymnody that addresses the Lord's Supper in this way, but it's really great. It says, Though reason cannot understand, yet faith this truth embraces. Your body, Lord, is even now at once in many places. I leave to you how this can be. Your word alone suffices me. I trust its truth unfailing. So we Lutherans are always accustomed to being on a narrow road between two ditches. On the one side, you've got the narrative theology that just wants to relegate everything to mystery and never really investigate the Word. You've got the other side, which is like rationalism, which says, no, I've got to know the whys and hows, and I'm going to, and if, if the Bible doesn't construct for me all the whys and hows, I'm going to add my own. This is great, because on the one hand, we say, well, we're going to cling to God's Word. Christ tells me what this is, and I'm just going to cling to that over against everything being mystery. Jesus has revealed many things. And so we cling to those things that he has revealed. And yet against the, uh, the modernists, we cling to this idea that what he hasn't uh, revealed to us, we simply hold on to what he has given, and that's good enough for us. Right. Well, and mystery does not mean secret. Um, Correct. Which is, which is also a good thing to be reminded of. Um, so, so as we talk about these evil spirits, um, I, would, I, I was at a Bible study uh, yesterday morning, actually, Oh, no, that was this morning. Man, it's been a long day already. I was in a Bible study this morning, and we were talking, uh, going through Ger Johann Gerhard, one of our fathers in the faith's book on the school of piety. And we were talking specifically about how angels and demons uh, can teach us and motivate us to godliness. And, and there we were talking about evil spirits and so forth. And we got talking about uh, our present culture and how Christians are de decreasing in number, and then even probably more than that, decreasing in influence and and how that is going to have an effect upon the amount of kind of evil that is allowed and evil that is then allowed to kind of infest everything. And of course, this, this goes along with, with, with evil spirits and, and then, of course, people under the devil's power and, and so forth. Uh, so we were just we were just kind of talking about how these kind of things are, are going to pop back up. And I think you made hint to this earlier about, you know, how some people nowadays try to make everything some kind of matter of natural things. And it actually wasn't a demon. You just need to pop a pill for this, that, or the other thing, and it'll be okay. That's not to, de right. that's not to d diminish the value of 
mental health care and so forth, but that is to, uh, we're, we're talking about the misuse of that to try to explain away spiritual realities as well. So I think, I think we're going to see more and more of this kind of, more and more of this kind of activity. And, uh, for those of those folks who want to be quote unquote spiritual and not religious, well, the devil uh, loves to be spiritual as well. So, if we don't have the dogma, if we don't have the doctrine, we don't have the teaching, we're not going to know whether what the messenger is saying, whether it is true or whether it is absolutely blasphemous. So, that's just the way it's going to go. More of an encouragement for our people that hear this to actually study their Book of Concord and find out what we Lutherans actually confess. All right, let's get into the pilgrimages. So paragraph 18. Third, pilgrimage. Here, too, the forgiveness of sins and God's grace were sought, for the Mass controlled everything. Pilgrimages, without God's word, have not been commanded, nor are they necessary, since the soul can be cared for in a better way. These pilgrimages can be abandoned without any sin and danger. So why do they leave behind their own callings, their parishes, their pastors, God's word, their wives, their children, and such? These are ordained and commanded. Instead, they run after these unnecessary, uncertain, dangerous illusions of the devil. Perhaps the devil had been riding the Pope, causing him to praise and establish these practices. By them, the people again and again revolted from Christ to their own works, and worst of all, became idolaters. Furthermore, pilgrimages are neither necessary nor commanded, but are senseless, doubtful, and harmful. On this, too, there can be no yielding or surrendering. Let it be preached that pilgrimages are not necessary but dangerous, and then see what will happen to them. All right, so pilgrimages. You know, a few years back, I, I got an email from, from, uh, from another pastor, and, and it was, he, was, uh, he was taking some folks on a trip to the Holy Land. And at the bottom of the email, he said something to the effect of, uh, this will be the spiritual experience of your lifetime. And I took objection to that, because, of course, the spiritual experience of my lifetime happened when I was baptized uh, long ago as just an infant. That was the spiritual experience of my lifetime. And there's no going to a certain place that will top that. And, and just this, this mentality, that, that was a Lutheran pastor, and this mentality still exists out there because, of course, the sinful nature always loves to pervert God's word. Um, so, Pastor Hinton, what, what about these pilgrimages? Okay. Um, there's, there's a thing that I like to say a lot, too, and that is that boredom is sin. If you haven't heard that, I'm sorry, but it, it is. It's boredom is sin. It's, it's absolutely it, true. At least at the... At the very least, boredom is sin against the Ninth and Tenth Commandments. And depending on what you're bored with, it could be sins against much, much worse. For example, if the Lord ordains these sacraments, institutes these sacraments as, as means of grace by which he delivers to you what he won on the cross, then, then your response is never going to be, ho-hum, I'm bored with this, I want something more. Now, to be sure, the people who, who were going on pilgrimages were not out outwardly saying, ho-hum, I'm bored with my baptism. However, uh, it's, not the case, or it's nonetheless the case that this is what was happening, because the, the people are not being taught what they received in their baptism, what they receive when they hear the Word of God, what they receive in the absolution, what they receive in, in the Lord's Supper, and of course, this is the article on the Mass. Um, the, the whole point is, they've been given this, this inestimably great gift 
in the body and blood of their Lord, by which they are united to their very Lord and Savior Christ, who comes to them in his body and blood as delivering his gifts of salvation, which he won on the cross. Not not doing it merely once, but but every every Lord's Day, every every uh, feast day, um, as, as often as the, the Church gathers to receive this gift, there he is for them. Um, it's, it's the kind of gift that we should never become bored with, never think that we should progress beyond, but should only grow in our appreciation. But as you know, as, as we all know, our hearts grow cold, um, our attention gets turned elsewhere, we get bored, um, we, and, and we see over here someone's doing something that's new and shiny, and it, and it distracts us. And that's, that's why all these things are listed in the article on the Mass. These are all things that people are forsaking the Lord's Supper for, for something else that they think is going to give them a better spiritual experience. Well, what spiritual being in all of creation would possibly be telling people to seek spiritual experiences apart from the sacrament that Christ instituted? It can only be the devil, the father of lies. And so this is, this is what he does, is he takes these things which... To, to be honest, there are probably lots of really good reasons that people could go and and see these sites. I mean, absolutely, it would be really, it'd be great research. You know, it puts a little context into your mind when you when you see this. For example, the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, look, there's the Mount. That's kind of what it would have looked like, and that's that's what what the, the people would have seen back in the day. I mean, two thousand years have passed, so probably. Not exactly as it was, but you know, you get the idea of this is what the Sea of yeah. Galilee looked like, or this is this is what the desert looks like. There's probably a lot of value in that. I myself haven't haven't traveled to any of these sites, but the people who've gone, you know, report that that they really learned a lot. And we shouldn't be opposed to learning. Um, and Never. some people do it for research. You know, people are studying the Word of God perhaps so that they can teach it to other people. You know. For example, an Old Testament seminary professor probably ought to have some handle of the geography of of the ancient Near East, and so going there would be a great way to get a handle on that. So it's not that we're opposed to people physically traveling to these places, but nope. this is this is listed as an abuse against the Lord's Supper in the article on the Mass, precisely because it's one of the things and a, a very powerful thing that people were were chasing after instead of what Christ has instituted and most importantly promised do for them. Yeah, so I mean, this is why it says, you know, why do they leave behind their own callings, their parishes, their pastors, God's word, their wives, their children, and such? Meaning, people are abandoning their God-given vocations. That's why it says these are ordained and commanded, meaning of God. And they're, and they're abandoning them for the, for the, for the experience of, uh, the spiritual experience of a lifetime, so to speak. And, and it's, the, the error is, of course, promising spiritual blessing to come through it. It's yeah, not I mean, travel. I, I mean, pastor, Christians aren't Christians uh, aren't oppo- we aren't opposed to travel. We aren't opposed to experience. We aren't opposed to learning things through being there. That that's great stuff, wonderful things. I hope to travel someday, but in the same respect, that's not a spiritual blessing to me. Uh, not like sitting down and hearing a sermon. Uh, yeah, and, I mean, and, imagine telling your pastor you're not going to be there on Sunday to hear God's word because you're you're going to be going and chasing after a higher spiritual experience. Well, that's the, old, that's the old violence, revival culture, you know, little... we have here in, in America is the, the old revival, tent revival culture, you know, the, the traveling preacher comes into town and you all kind of leave your parishes to go do that. Um, you know, Billy Graham had a kind of a tense of, uh, a touch of that. Uh, but you're seeing some of this stuff here with, uh, with uh, like, I mean, we just had you know, Holy Week this last week and, you know, the, the, the whole Passover Seder thing where we take an 11th century Jewish rite and we try to 
Christianize it and, and have a bigger experience than just simply having the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday. You know, right. it just it's just dangerous. Um, so we only have a few minutes left here. Uh, actually, one minute left before we have a hard break. Um, so we're discussing pilgrimages, and I think we're going to maybe pick it up right after the break a little bit more about this idea of vocational abandonment that would be sinful. And this is, of course, a hugely uh, Lutheran contribution to Christianity, again, bringing out uh, into the light uh, the truth rather than the darkness of all these uh, self-created special man-made works. So you'll, uh, you'll have to pick us up after the break. You're listening to Concord Matters here on KFUAM Radio, the messenger of the good news. We are talking about God's Word and how good it is for us as Christians. We'll be back in a short minute. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for... Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. You're a miracle. You know that, right? A living, breathing, one-of-a-kind miracle. You were created to stand apart to share your gifts in the service of others, to make an uncommon impact in a common world. And at Concordia University, it's our mission to help you do that, to live uncommon. To learn more about Concordia, go to cuw.edu. When communism fell in the former Soviet Union, it was an exciting time to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people who had long been denied the faith. This is Reverend Robert Ron, founder of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. It's been 25 years since LHF began translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith for the people of Russia. With your help, LHF continues our work of introducing new believers to the Savior in nearly 90 countries. Visit lhfmissions.org to learn more. Hi, I'm Mark with Moments of Assurance with a personal invitation for you to join us for share 2019, April 25 to 27. There'll be special guests, your favorite on-air hosts, interviews, lots of live talk and much fun. And it's all about the son of God, that is. So why not call in and partner with us so we can continue to reach around the globe with the good news of the gospel. That's share 2019, April 25 to 27, starting at 7 a.m. right here on Worldwide. KFUO, the messenger of good news. Words deeply connected with the Statue of Liberty from Emma Lazarus' poem, The New Colossus. And did you know, April 17th is celebrated as a day in 1907 when more immigrants were processed through Ellis Island than any other day in its history, 11,747 people. As early as the 1880s, Lazarus was speaking out against anti-Semitism in Europe, advocating for Jewish refugees coming to the United States, with many of her most passionate poems inspired by the Hebrew Bible. In the Banner of the Jew, she writes, With Moses' law and David's lyre, your ancient strength remains unbent. Let but an Ezra rise anew to lift the banner of the Jew. 
Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUAM Radio. The messenger of the good news, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the New Testament, that which God has fulfilled in the person of his Son, that by believing in him you would have salvation and life everlasting. And that is the banner that we as Christians hold up before the whole, whole world. So welcome back. We're discussing uh, Small Called Articles, Part 2, Article 2, Paragraph 16 and following, we left off with this pilgrimage idea. You know, um, there's just something in this paragraph here that just speaks really well. It, why do they leave behind their own callings? And, and you were talking about the sin of boredom. And, and I think this, there's just, you know, people don't like to be common anymore. And it, there's a common and there's an ordinary thing. And, and I've, I've read some articles about, you know, how Lutherans need to be more out there and, and less, you know, just common and ordinary. But, it, but our theology is geared towards what the Bible teaches, which is you have a lot in life. You have a, a place that God puts you. Now in peace and quietness, hopefully if God provides good government, you can live out your life with integrity and, and love for others. Uh, it, it just, yeah, there's just something common about our theology and then our callings as, as, as Lutherans in this world. Uh, and, and it's just these pilgrimages uh, get in the way of that, and they try to promise something much more spectacular. And I'm, I'm just not even sure uh, what more to say about that. That just It's just beautiful that your ordinary life of just taking care of the people around you is a God-blessed life, and is a wonderful testament to what God does in the world, for the world, and, and what the gospel does in our lives. And I, I don't know if you want to add something to that, Pastor, and feel free. You know, one of the biggest problems that we Lutherans have with pietism, because not everything in pietism is condemnable. I mean, they say things like, you should read your Bible more, and seminarians should be truly regenerate Christians. You literally can't argue against that kind of thing. But one of the things that pietism kind of does to people, and by no means is this line of thinking unique to the 16th or 21st century, but is, is the idea that, well, you can be a Christian, you know, like the nominal Christian, but but you you really should push to be like a a, a, a a top-tier Christian, you know, the, you're not just going to, to church, but you're also doing over and above, and, and what happens is, is you have this kind of bifurcation of the church, which, as I mentioned, Jesus lists only two categories. When, when the whole creation is rolled up like a scroll and there's judgment, there are only two categories. There are the sheep and the goats, the wheat and the chaff, etc., etc. Those who believe and stand victorious with him at the resurrection, and those who go into the place prepared for the devil and his angels. There's, there's, there's no third category. There's not, a, there's not a super Christian category. This is one of the things that we opposed about Rome, was, was when, when we teach our people what's a saint, a saint is a believer in Christ. So this, this idea of, of, I mean, yeah, we, we, sh- we should be willing to do things that are over and above when the time calls for it, but never, never, never should we do it in such a way that denigrates the godly service of, for example, housewives who change diapers. It's the 10,000th diaper they've ever changed. Is it a good work? You bet it's a good work. That baby's sure happy to be changed and dry now. Um, is anyone going to give her a medal about it? Is anyone going to fly a banner for her? No. But, it, but that's exactly what the, the Christian life of good works looks like. It is extremely ordinary. We, we should strive to live common. Um, 
because this is it's, it's in those common things, those ordinary things that the that the good works that God has provided for us to do and prepared for us to do are found. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's where you you know I mean, the home is where you raise godly children, the next generation of Christians, and you just can't get around that. All right. So speaking of that, let's go on to another abuse from the Dragon's Tale of the Mass. This would be another. Another thing that we would speak of as a vermin or idolatry, uh, paragraph 21. Fourth, monastic societies, monasteries, foundations, and representatives have assigned and transferred by a legal contract and sale all masses, good works, and such, both for the living and the dead. This is nothing but a human trick, without God's word, and entirely unnecessary and not commanded. It is also contrary to the chief article on redemption. Therefore, it cannot in any way be tolerated. Here he changes his language just a little bit, but he's still saying the same thing. Without God's word, unnecessary, not commanded. Here he adds, you know, contrary to the chief article, that is of how man is saved by God's work through Jesus Christ alone. Um, and so it can't be tolerated. We can't, even, we can't even put up with this. We can't even uh, patiently endure this. Now, a little bit about this monastic societies sometimes these were called confraternities um they 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 start out as as clubs uh maybe around like guilds and so forth kind of common work and so forth but they grow into this kind of spiritual monster uh that they start actually having altars in churches you know so you'd have a certain uh monastic society or a certain fraternity would have its own altar on the on the side of the church or something like that and they would pay for masses to be done there and and members would be we'd be asked to join this fraternity uh this confraternity for for spiritual blessing that because they were members of it because they paid their dues that these things would happen for them and masses would be said for them and and so forth and they would be so blessed by it and i think it's a real good caution to what we would call today to be the, the parachurch. Um, the, the, the thing that puts on churchly airs, but itself is not the church. Um, and, it, and it's a danger. I mean, it doesn't mean that everything parachurch is, is evil and wicked, but what it does is it should set us a caution about maybe some of the promises that are made by these churchly organizations that aren't church. And, and to realize that the promises they're making, they can be evil. Uh, in particular, in this case, this is, this is what we're talking about. Is these, they charged dues, they solicited all kinds of donations for their spiritual blessing and their benefit. And, of course, you, you, you know, the kind of crass outward examples of the, you know, 2 a.m. preacher on, on pay TV, you know, saying that, you know, if you give him his ministry money, you're going to be blessed a hundredfold or whatever it is, you know, the, the garbage you hear. But, but there's much more subtle forms of it, and I think they exist in that kind of parachurch realm. Pastor Hinton, what do you want to speak to about this? So that's a really apt vocabulary word, uh, parachurch. I mean, para is a Greek prefix that means, among other things, alongside of. And that's kind of what this, these groups do. These uh, In Latin, these are called fraternities and societies. But, I mean, whatever you call them, they come alongside the church. And then, I mean, if, if, if we stick to St. Paul's image of the church as the body of Christ, these kind of become parasites. And they start out not, not being that big a deal, not that noticeable, but pretty soon they start growing. And it's not just that they're growing. What are they growing off of? Where do they get their sustenance? It's off the body. And um, bodies can't tolerate the presence of, of large parasites taking away all of their uh, nutrition for very 
long. Um, and that's why they should be opposed, because eventually they, they grow, they assert themselves. And, and, and the problem with this is that eventually they, be, they begin overshadowing Christ. Now, the, the, the types of, of these fraternities and societies are, are too many to number. But the fact of the matter is, is that this is a danger for just about any group that works in and around the Church that is not properly the Church, that there's always going to be the, the, the temptation that, that must, be, must be fought against for them to begin taking over the work of the Church, that is the proclamation of the Gospel and the, uh, and the administration of the sacraments. Um, this, this should be guarded against and avoided, and, and precisely for the same reason that all the others are, because they're neither commanded nor they a blessing. As a matter of fact, they end up obscuring uh, and, and hindering the true faith. Well, which is which is what these kind of confraternities did in in history, and that's what Luther is going after here. Is just they had become such a thing, a profiteering thing, that uh, these you know these side gigs were taking resources from the church, and even worse than that, they were directing souls to their own works again. That is their their own membership in the fraternity their own uh, gifts and their own works of, of whatever for that for that confraternity. And so this is why he's, he's going after it with such language um, that, that, that he says, you know, this should not even be tolerated in any way. And so again, this, this strong language should, should, should really serve as a rebuke and a caution to us in anything that we're a part of that is not church. Uh, and of course, I define church very narrowly, but I define it as the Augsburg Confession does, where the gospel is preached purely and the sacraments are administered rightly. Uh, that's Augsburg 7. A great, wonderful blessing of where the church can be found is, is in those things. And that's, of course, because Jesus said, hey, this is what Christians are going to do. That's what the book of Acts tells us. That's what they did. They gathered around the word and sacrament. That's what they do. So, um, yeah, wonderful thing. Now let's move on to something very timely uh, in paragraph 22 fifth relics so many falsehoods and such foolishness are found in the bones of dogs and horses that even the devil has laughed at such swindles relics should have been condemned long ago even if there were some good in them and all the more because they are without god's word since they are neither commanded nor counseled relics are entirely unnecessary and useless worst of all these relics have been imagined to cause indulgence and the forgiveness of sins. People have revered them as a good work and service of God, like the Mass and other such practices. So again, this is all stemming out from that false understanding of the Mass, that abomination of the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church about uh, divine service as well as the Lord's Supper, that this is a work of man to appease God. And of course, here now we have relics. Um, you know, I, 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 everybody, I think watched last week as as Notre Dame, uh, the fire happened, and and you watched, you know, kind of with horror to look at, you know, such a beautiful structure, uh, being burned and so forth. Uh, but it it showed up pretty quick in the in the news feed, uh, at least my Facebook news feed, a lot of stories about like the contents of the church itself and especially the relics that this is still a practice in the Roman Catholic Church. And this then, this paragraph, these two paragraphs, 22 and 23, really are still how Lutherans should view relics. 
Pastor Hinton, go ahead. Yeah, um, and, and, and worst is they were called the treasures of the church, and it just it breaks your heart to hear stuff like that, because once, it's, it's, it's almost like a perfect image of what was going on with the pilgrimages. You're, you're, you're leaving behind the true riches in search of something that has neither command nor promise, and as a matter of fact, is, is actively working against the true faith. And, you know, mankind has, has a streak of superstition in them, um, and, and some of that is just kind of nostalgia. I mean, for, most mothers are going to keep the baptismal gowns for, that their children were baptized in um, be, because of a nostalgia kind of a thing. It's, it's nice to look at them and have a fond memory of what happened. And that's, you know, there's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but the moment that, for example, the mother thinks that somehow that gown is going to impart some of God's grace apart from uh, the, the, the command and promise of the sacrament of holy baptism, the thing should be thrown out, because it's now become not just an indifferent thing that kind of has some nostalgia value, but, but now has become an active uh, opponent of the gospel and, and serves to obscure the clear command and promise of Christ. And mankind has had thousands of things like this before, and, you know, you, you think in the Bible how many things had were, were instituted that were good that ended up becoming um, not just instruments of nostalgia but or objects of nostalgia, but rather became idols, in which case they had to be smashed. And and likewise, I mean, let's 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 just set aside the argument that 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 there are many of many of these relics that if you were to add them all together, you'd have much more than the original would have would have <laughs> added up to. Um, you know, there's that Luther movie that came out in the 90s that said 18 of the 12 apostles are buried in Spain, which is a hilarious line. But <laughs> even even setting aside that for a second, let's just assume that that this is the crown of thorns. Where do I go to receive the grace that was won for me by the suffering that those thorns inflicted? It's not by going to the little bits of dried pointy wood. It's by going where Christ has promised to be in his word and in the sacraments and the means of grace. And if this wooden crown, even let's assume, let's assume that this is the actual crown of thorns, even if that's, that's what it is, Christ has not promised to be there for the forgiveness of my sins, except that he himself suffered those to, to give me that forgiveness, not through the actual instrument of suffering, but through rather his means of grace. And that's, that's everything. This is what Luther says in Against the Heavenly Prophets, which I revisit every, every uh, Holy Thursday because it's just so magnificent. That distinction between where salvation is won and where salvation is delivered is so critical for the life of the Christian, and it, it really serves as a good uh, hedge and, and, and defense against this kind of superstitious nonsense that it's not just frivolous, it really becomes an enemy of the gospel at a point. Well, and I think that's why Luther reserves this kind of language for it. It, 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 yeah. it is an enemy of the gospel. I mean, they're, they're promising by adoring these things or seeing them or being in certain places. or They're promising forgiveness, uh, which is, of course, something that only comes through the Word and thus then also the sacraments which are based upon that Word. It, it just... it. <sighs> That's the great evil here. And, of course, everyone listening in, you know, this is a great section of Luther because, of course, it shows that liveliness of Luther in his writing that you'll find <laughs> throughout Luther. Um, his sermons have this kind of stuff. His letters are just full of this stuff. The table talks are just awesome to read about this kind of things because, you know, uh, uh, such foolishness are found in the bones of dogs and horses that even the devil has laughed at such swindles. You know, just... 
the kind of language uh, usage on his part of, of imagery that even here that people selling relics and so forth and, and, the, and the whole trade of the relics and the whole system of relics has made the devil even laugh that that <laughs> they've outdone the devil even here and and of course this the, the humor involved like you said the 18 of 12 uh, you know there's there's enough there's enough shards of the true cross in order to build Noah's Ark again you know it's another one I think he said so there's just all kinds of these kind of images um, mindful here that Luther writes this when one of the largest collections of relics in Saxony he would have passed on about 12 years prior to this but but was Fre Frederick the Wise's of Saxony his his own his own uh, ruler and and of course um, we don't really know what happened to a lot of that at least I I haven't read anything about it I don't know if you have or not but but I mean relics were a big thing then they're still a big thing look at the news articles about yeah, you mentioned the crown of thorns. Um, yeah, they're still out there. You know, I think there's plenty of examples of, of modern-day relics. They're usually tied closer to pilgrimages, like you're going to a certain place for a special special blessing and so forth. Um, you know, I, I, I just live 30 miles west of a national shrine, which is like a relic. And uh, so people go there to, to get, you know, X number of years off of purgatory or various things, and those teachers are still very active in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so, Pastor Hinton, anything more you want to say about relics? No. No? All right. Well, we condemn them. So, all right. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Let's go on to sixth. Sixth here belong the precious indulgences granted, but only for money, both to the living and the dead. By indulgences, the miserable Judas, or Pope, has sold Christ's merit, along with the extra merits of all saints, of the entire church, and such things. All these things are unbearable. They, not only, they are not only without God's word, are unnecessary and not commanded, but are against the chief article. For Christ's merit is obtained not by our works or pennies, but from grace through faith. Without money and merit, it is offered not through the Pope's power, but through the preaching of God's Word. I think we come full circle here um, with what we talked about at the beginning, uh, the idea of boredom and boredom with the things of the church. And here it is, we, we crown what with the greatest thing? It is offered not through the Pope's power, but through the preaching of God's Word. Um, preaching is, is to be held in high honor and treasured because of the promises that God has, its, has himself attached to the preaching of God's Word. So, all right, indulgences. This would be the idea that you pay a certain amount and you can free yourself, your loved ones, uh, from portions of eternity and, and purgation and so forth, or from the entire thing, uh, depending upon the scale of the debt that is needing to be paid off in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, so, uh, Pastor Hinton, what, what do we want to talk about with, with indulgences here? Well, in, indulgences of all of these abuses are one... Are, are, are one that tend to be a, a bit more familiar, I think, because this is something that we discuss at least every Reformation Day, and it's and it's useful because it it, it really is a great example of of what this this whole system of salvation by works or or your justification or, or righteousness by works uh, could look like is is this thing goes so far as as to think that we can somehow um, merit purchase.
acquire righteousness that avails to somebody else. Making, and that makes ourselves little Christs, um, not, not, on the, not on the good way. You know, they're called Christians at Antioch, but, but little, uh, you know, little ones making atonement and making you know, satisfaction for somebody else. Now, what, what I always find interesting is that um, there are some very vehement um, uh, papist uh, apologists out there who like to, to really uh, get under the skin of, of confessional Lutherans because, I, I don't know if it's a sport or something, but they like to point out that we Lutherans are wrong in saying that they sell indulgences because Tetzel was, was somehow punished uh, for, for having sold the indulgences, as though that doesn't entirely exonerate us, because it totally does. But... Um, even they realized that things had gone too far. But but even taking aside the the whole matter of of paying money for these indulgences, the whole concept that Christ's death was somehow not sufficient to make atonement for the sins of the world is is as vile a lie as there ever could be said. Um, as as vile as any lie could be, this is the most vilest of all. That Christ's atonement was not sufficient. To take away the sins of, of the world, and that, I mean, you can, you can try to parse that out and say, well, you know, Christ atoned for the sins, but there's still earthly, you know, guilt left to atone for. It's it's just it's just demonic. It's just false. And and Luther, Luther is so clear thinking in here as he has been the whole way. Um, he, he was a he was a recipient of a classical education, and he learned uh, rhetoric, and but but more importantly, he learned grammar and dialectic, and he he uses this dialectic really well because when he talks about why these things should be opposed, he uses phrases like, um, "Not only is this unnecessary or without necessity, not commanded, but also they're against the chief article." So it's it's. It's not just that these things are frivolous. It's not just that they're they're useless. I mean, there are probably lots of things that happen in a given church on any given you know Sunday that are kind of frivolous and and maybe don't have a ton of meaning attached to them, but they've just kind of always been and and they're not hurting anything, so you just kind of leave them there. I mean, that's that's just the reality of things. But that's not what this is. This is not just some kind of trivial, you know. Oh yeah, some people believe that, but you know, whatever. This is this is an active opponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and cannot be overlooked. It can't. You can't just say meh to it. You can't go at it like a Gen Xer and just not care and watch the world burn. You, this is a thing to actively be opposed. That um, that this is this is obscuring the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a demonic lie. It teaches people to seek salvation and assurance and comfort apart from the cross of Christ and the means of grace which He has appointed to to. Uh, deliver that salvation to us, and, and that's why Luther uses such strong language. Yeah. Well, he, he <clears throat> Luther is always concerned about the care of souls, yeah. and souls that are taught this nonsense about indulgences, and really any of these tales of the dragon that we've covered, um, they militate against faith in Christ, and, and that means that they are destructive to faith in Jesus, and thus then they, they rob people of salvation. And uh, that also then robs Jesus of the glory, Jesus of the credit, Jesus of properly, uh, you know, being honored for the work that he has actually done. Uh, I, I, I run into this often with evangelicals uh, that, that struggle with these kind of things. Uh, what doctrine of original sin and what doctrine of atonement and justification gives most glory to Christ? Is it one 
where you get to make a decision? Is it one where you have indulgences and pilgrimages and these mm-hmm. kind of things? Or is it the fact that you are saved by grace through faith alone in Christ without works, lest any man boast? Um, that uh, it just, uh, yeah, it, it, it is amazing. And, and Luther is clear here. Um, there's just there's just nothing around about it. You know, I, I, when I was reading this, uh, I was thinking about, I, I'm teaching the book of Acts in one of my Bible studies, and uh, the, the whole line of Peter, who, of course, they would count as the first pope. Uh, Silver and gold I have none, but what I have I give to you. So Acts chapter 3, when, it, when he heals the man at the beautiful gate. Um, you know, that Peter wasn't, Peter wasn't rich. He wasn't seeking out money. Uh, he didn't have any. And what, what he did have was, was the word of God. And and so, uh, yeah, this, these are the treasures of the church, that is the word and the sacraments, and then also the people that believe uh, and do good from it, uh, that, that, that the true treasure of the church is, is what God has done. Um, there's just no getting around that. Um, and I don't, I don't know, um, I mean, I'm sure it makes for good industry uh, to raise funds through kind of making these kind of promises and stuff. And, of course, it, it makes people feel good because they, they, they can... They can really grab onto that indulgence, but it's all lies, and and as you said, it's it's demonic because it militates against Christ. So, all right. Before we get into the invocation of saints, which we'll have to wait till next week, uh, Pastor Hinton, we do have two minutes left. Any any grand summary of these last uh, well, these last four or five uh, dragon tales as we've as we've seen them. Well, I don't I don't know what your translation says, but the last six words of this sixth point are through the preaching of God's word. Um, this, the, the, the last sentence here in this in this sixth point dealing with indulgences, he says, "For the merit of Christ is apprehended and obtained not by our works or pence—that's money—but uh, from grace through faith, without money and merit, and is offered and presented not through the power of the Pope, but through the preaching of God's word." You want God? You want to hear about God? Do you want to be close to God? Do you want to experience God? Do you want you want God to draw near to you? Do you want to experience His blessings? Go hear His Word. Go to church. Listen to preaching. Be baptized. Um, receive the body and blood of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Go where Christ has promised to be for you, and you will have the blessing that He Himself has attached to the things that He has appointed for these means. And indeed, your sinful nature, your old Adam, will become bored beyond belief. But that's a good thing for the old Adam, because he needs to be crucified and die, or or be drowned, as our catechism would say. So, uh, you've been listening to Concord Matters. Some strong words today, but these are good words. Small cult articles will bring out some of the strongest words we Lutherans have. um, Growing fully from Luther's conviction of the pure gospel, and what it means for the church, what it means for Christians, and, and how we should oppose, indeed, anything that opposes this, this pure gospel of what Christ has done for us and for our salvation. Uh, you've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO Radio. Um, we will be back with you next week, and they'll be covering the invocation of saints. Lord bless you. Go to church.